0: right. This evening we will be in Deuteronomy chapters uh, 15 and 16. We won't get all the way through uh, Deuteronomy 16 because uh, there's kind of a break in Deuteronomy 16. Tonight we will consider Moses' extended commentary on the fourth commandment. So if you would turn back a few pages uh, with me, I remind you we are in the middle of of the book of Deuteronomy. And specifically, we're in the middle of this section, uh, Deuteronomy 6 through 26, which, uh, as we have said before, so now I say again, this is an extended or divine commentary on the Ten Commandments, which were provided to us and to uh, this second generation of Israelites by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So the fourth commandment begins... In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. So I'll begin there. Moses speaking to Israel. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15, And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord Yahweh your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So that is uh, the fourth Commandment, and and I have to say, sort of as a, a point of introduction, that uh, this this study in Deuteronomy has been um, such a help for me, and 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 really, truly understanding Deuteronomy as this extended divine commentary on the Ten Commandments has been such a help for me. It has helped me to understand. Um, better the, the layout of Deuteronomy itself now the the layout of Deuteronomy uh, makes uh, so much more sense to me now and, and not only that but but this commentary provides this larger perspective on what the the essence of God's uh, Ten Commandments um, is and so for example, Two weeks ago, when we were together, uh, we talked about the third commandment, this idea of you shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain and what we saw in Deuteronomy thirteen and fourteen was this expansion of that idea so So the third commandment is an extremely concise statement, and yet here in Deuteronomy chapters thirteen and fourteen, we have this expansion of of what is really the essence of what it means to violate the third commandment or to take the Lord's name in vain. And what we saw were were two primary aspects. And what we saw in Deuteronomy 13 was this idea that when someone spoke in the name of the Lord and spoke in such a way that they would violate God's commands, right? In essence, when someone speaks in the name of the Lord and doesn't speak truthfully or even worse, leads God's people uh, in a way that is false or towards idolatry, this is in essence a third commandment violation taking the Lord's name in vain and then we saw in Deuteronomy 14 a summary of the holiness code from the second half of Leviticus and so um we, we talked about how the reason why the holiness code falls under the third commandment is because God's name is holy. And so what we should learn from that is that when we are unrighteous or we are unholy or we do something that violates God's command, in essence what we're doing is we're besmirching the name of God, and so I hope, as new covenant believers, uh, we have these things in front of our faces when we when we speak on behalf of God, and we speak things that are not true, or or lead people to worship God in a way that He's not pleased with. That is a third commandment violation. Or when we, in our lives, which so often is the case, when we are not holy, when we don't set apart ourselves or sanctify ourselves as holy in essence. That is a third commandment violation. And so I was blessed by that expansion of understanding that we had for the Third Commandment. And we will see the same thing this evening. And frankly, as I was reading ahead a little bit uh, in anticipation of the next time that we're together, Lord willing, we will see exactly the same thing for the Fifth Commandment as well. But let's go to the Fourth Commandment, which I just read, this idea of um, remembering the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting as we pick up in Deuteronomy 15, that the Sabbath day is not discussed at all in this extended commentary. right? So the fourth commandment, according to Deuteronomy chapter five verses 12 through 15, deals with the seventh day. As a day of resting from labors, that is, everyone in the household. And it is a day of remembrance. It's a, a day of worship. It's a day set aside for Israel when they can remember and meditate on the fact that they were once slaves in Egypt and they were redeemed by the outstretched arm of God from that slavery. ...in Egypt, redeemed through the Red Sea, and then ultimately brought into the land of Canaan, which is where we are headed. When we pick up in this extended commentary in Deuteronomy 15 and 16, we pick up in verse 1. This is what Moses says to the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan River. At the end of every seven years, seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts... And this is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother, because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner you may exact it, but your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. However, there shall be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, <coughs> if only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all this commandment which I'm commanding you today for the Lord your God shall bless you as he has promised you and you will lend to many nations but you will not borrow and you will rule over many nations but they will not rule Over you. And so this is not the Sabbath day being addressed, but here in Deuteronomy chapter 15, what's being addressed is the Sabbath year. And in verse 1, we see this is a year of remission of debts. Verse 2, every creditor shall release what he has loaned to his neighbor. And so this idea, and we've talked about this, uh, we saw this back in Leviticus chapter 25. If you'd like to go back there, we talked extensively about the Sabbath year at that time and the remission of debts, right? But that's what we have. So uh, whenever somebody owed a debt to another Israelite, that debt was to be forgiven in the seventh year. And there's this great promise in verse 4, there shall be no poor among you why since the Lord Yahweh will surely bless you and the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess so these great blessings that are going to come upon the nation Israel in the land of Canaan will be blessings such that there will be no one who remains poor in Israel. It's important to understand at the beginning of verse 5, there's the word if. These blessings are not without obligation, right? There's an if at the beginning of verse 5. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all this commandment which I'm commanding you today. So again, we have said it before so many times. I will say again that the blessings of God, of Yahweh, that will fall on Israel in In the land of Canaan are contingent upon their obedience. They're listening obediently and they're observing carefully the commandments that God has given to them, which we are obviously studying here in the heart of Deuteronomy. So the land will be given to them. According to the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15, but once that land is given to them, their keeping the land is contingent upon their obedience to God's law. If they obey God's law, if they listen obediently and observe carefully, verse 5, then there shall be no poor among them, verse 4. We're going to come back to that clause in a few moments. But this is a tremendous promise, a tremendous promise of blessing. Let me pick up in verse 7. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware, lest there is a base thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and your eye is hot. Toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing, then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. So, in these verses 7 through 11, the word poor is mentioned several times. And then you ask yourself, well, what does it mean back in verse 4? However, there shall be no poor among you. Why is now Moses moving to this idea that there will be poor in Israel? Well, those two things are not in contradiction. There are going to be cases in Israel... Where people lose what they have. Let's say, for example, that a man's house or his field catches on fire by accident, right? This is something that we could imagine, um, and and so everything is lost, right? So, by definition, that man is now poor. His belongings, the things that he owns, are now gone, literally, up in flames. But that man will not remain poor because that man will be surrounded by brothers in Israel who are now exhorted to care for him. And as as I was reading, you may have noticed that I was emphasizing the adverbs. Look in verse 8. You shall freely open your hand to him. You shall generously lend him sufficient for his need. Verse 10, you shall generously give to him. Verse 11, "Um, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, right? And so this goes along with this idea even in 2 Corinthians 9, right? Where God loves a cheerful giver. We see that same theme even coming here in the law. Uh, in Deuteronomy. I would also note back in verse 7, let me read it again. If there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. And so if you would turn with me to 1 John, I want you to see in 1 John that John actually takes this verse and he uses it in 1 John 3. 1 John 3, 17. I'll begin in verse 16 since it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. 1 John three sixteen and 17. John writes this, We know love by this, that He, Christ Jesus, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Verse 17, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him literally inward parts, closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? And that is echoing Deuteronomy 15 verse 7. You shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. And so John picks up this same thing. I would also commend to you James chapter 2. If you go to James chapter 2 in the section on faith and works in the second half of James 2 beginning in verse 14 James writes this, what use is it my brothers if a man says he has faith but he has no works can that faith save him if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food verse 16 of James 2 and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body what use is that? And so we can see both John and James picking up on this idea, specifically the adverbs in Deuteronomy 15. Do not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor brother. Verse 8 of Deuteronomy 15. But you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. So uh, we here at Abiding Grace Church, we are uh, not Sabbatarians, uh, not certainly not strict Sabbatarians as some of our brothers and sisters in other denominations are. However, I would note here that when when you talk to somebody who has Sabbatarian tendencies, of course, they see a Sunday as not only a day of worship, but also a day for acts of charity. And you can see that those acts of charity are actually flowing from this larger commentary on the fourth commandment here in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And again, I just remind you, that's what it is, this idea uh, that God gives Israel these periods of rest from work, either the seventh day of the week, or the seventh year, the purpose of those periods, whether it's the day or the year, is so that people cannot be so focused on themselves, their own work, their own making a living, but to provide an opportunity to freely open their hands and to generously lend to those brothers and sisters around them who are in need. And when you just read the fourth commandment, In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, you don't get this sense, but we are blessed here in this extended commentary in Deuteronomy 15 to see that really that is what is truly lying behind the fourth commandment. We can rest from our labors so that we can provide generously to those around us. And I just think um, that is... um, it's it's just it's just fantastic i've been so blessed uh, to see this larger context uh, as a final note before i pick up in verse 12 i note in deuteronomy 15:11 jesus actually quotes deuteronomy 15:11 it says for the poor will never cease to be in the land uh, or or in your midst and jesus actually quotes this verse in matthew 26:11 for the poor you will always have with you. Pick up in verse 12. If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, then he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year you shall set him free. And when you set him free, you shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor from your wine vat you shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you therefore I command you this today and it shall come about if he says to you I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household since he fares well with you then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door and he shall be your servant forever and also you shall do likewise to your maidservant It shall not seem hard to you when you set him free, for he has given you six years with double the service of a hired man. So the Lord your God will bless you in whatever you do. And so here we have in verses 12 through 18, this idea of an Israelite who literally gets sold uh, into an indentured servanthood. We have spoken several times through uh, the Pentateuch here on what it means uh, to be a slave in the context of Israel. So I'm not going to revisit that here. Uh, You can go back and listen to a couple of those uh, from both, uh, I think, Exodus and Leviticus. But I want to point out here another uh, adverb, right, in verse 14. You shall furnish this slave. When you send, send him away, when you set him free in the Sabbath year... Verse 14, you shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave, right? And so anyway, what echoes in my ears as I'm reading through this is is this idea, even in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Where we forgive others because we have been forgiven, right? That is a common motif through the scriptures. What we have received, we should be willing to give liberally to. others, right? And then, of course, the, uh, the slave who has the option to be set free in the Sabbath year if he chooses not to be set free but wants to remain with that household, which is an exhortation to masters, to be good masters of their slaves, so much so that perhaps even your slave will not want to go out in the Sabbath year, then that slave will be pierced through with an awl and he shall remain a servant to his master. And so this is, uh, again, revisiting some of the things that we have seen before. Verse 19 of Deuteronomy 15. You shall consecrate to the Lord your God all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and of your flock. You shall not work with the firstborn of your herd nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it every year before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. But if it has any defect such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your gates. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You are to pour it out on the ground like water. So, um, I struggled, uh, for some time to understand why these, um, four or five verses uh, appear here in Deuteronomy 15, uh, and I'll confess to you that um, the only idea that I could come up with uh, as we're talking about the context of uh, Sabbath and Sabbath rest is that um, in verse 19, uh, it notes... To the Israelites, you shall not work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. So it seems, at least to me, that Moses shoehorns these particular laws, which we have seen before, back in Numbers uh, chapter 18. He shoehorns them in here uh, as they are related to not working. Uh, that's that's what I see as the tie to sabbath for these particular laws and then in verse 23 only you shall not eat its blood you are to pour it out on the ground like water and we talked extensively about the blood back in leviticus chapter 17 you can go back and revisit that uh if you like uh in the highlights in leviticus series okay so that is the the Sabbath year in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we continue on with this idea of resting and feasting and providing in Deuteronomy chapter 16, we will cover the first 17 Verses. So let me pick up in verse 1. Moses speaking to Israel. Observe the month of Abib and celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd. In the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread. "...the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, in order that you may remember all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt." For seven days no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory, and none of the flesh which you sacrifice on the evening of the first day shall remain overnight until morning. You are not allowed to sacrifice the Passover in any of your towns which the Lord your God is giving you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name, you shall sacrifice the Passover in the evening at sunset, at the time that you came out of Egypt, and you shall cook and eat it in the place which the Lord your God Chooses, and in the morning you are to return to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. Alright, so Deuteronomy 16 deals with um, the three feasts. Uh, that we have talked about uh, before. We talked about them in Exodus, and then we talked extensively about them uh, back in Leviticus uh, chapter 23. So again, I would commend that to you for an extended treatise on the feasts. Of Israel, the first feast of the three, whereby all of the men and their families were to gather into one place uh, three times a year. The first of those three times uh, is to celebrate the Passover, verse 1. This would be in the first month of Abib. And it was a, a feast of remembrance for uh, the Exodus itself, when God rescued and redeemed the Israelites. Out of Egyptian slavery. Verse 1, at the end, God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall sacrifice the Passover, the lamb, to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name. So they were not permitted to celebrate the Passover in their houses, in their cities, in their towns, in the larger nation of Israel. They literally had to travel to the place place that God would choose again ultimately that place would be the city of David the city of Jerusalem so they must go to that place and they must go together they must be in fellowship with one another it is a a congregational remembrance if you will And of course, we know that Jesus Christ institutes um, the the supper, um, which we celebrate at Abiding Grace Church weekly. Right? We don't celebrate that supper in our own homes. We celebrate that supper together. In the same place, it is a meal, it is a fellowship meal, it is a meal to be celebrated together, and it is a meal whereby we together, as God's people, we remember what God has done for us, not to redeem us out of Egyptian slavery, as he did the Israelites, but to redeem us by the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ, out of our slavery to sin, and we rejoice in that together. Um, verse 3, no leavened bread, right? We've talked in the past about how leaven uh, represents sin, and seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, right? And so these are special sabbaths if you will these feasts these are high holy days in the israelite calendar which is why they fall under the larger umbrella of the fourth commandment you can see uh the number seven appears in verse three seven days you shall eat it uh, in verse four for seven days no leaven shall be seen And again, a reminder, in verse 5, you are not allowed to sacrifice the Passover in any of your towns, but you must go, verse 6, to the place where the Lord your God will choose to establish His name. And they celebrate this Passover in the evening, at sunset, at the time that they came out of Egypt, verse 6, and they cook it and eat it, and verse 7, and then the following morning, once the meal is over, so it's an overnight meal, in the morning they return to their tents. And then on the seventh day, verse 8, there's a solemn assembly to the Lord, their God. They shall do no work on it. So this doesn't necessarily mean that this is a Saturday. But the seventh day of the festival itself is itself a Sabbath day, a day of rest. And that has actually implications for the new t- the, the gospel accounts in the New Testament as well. I'll pick up in verse 9 with the second feast. So that was the feast of Passover. Now we pick up in verse 9. From the Passover you shall count seven weeks for yourself. You shall begin to count seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then you shall celebrate the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with a tribute of a free will offering of your hand, which you shall give just as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants, and the Levite who is in your town, and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your midst, in the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. And so here in verses 9 through 12 is a reminder, again, under the larger umbrella of the fourth commandment, the celebration of what here is called the Feast of Weeks. It is also, we know it as Pentecost, that is seven weeks or 50 days. That's what Pentecost means. And so there's this second feast day of the year that they bring this free will offering, uh, verse 10, right? The free will offering of their hands, they were to bring it. And then they were not only to bring it, but in verse 11, they should rejoice before the Lord their God. For what? For the blessings that he has bestowed on them. And again, they must go. They're not allowed to do this in their cities. They're not allowed to do this in their towns. They're not allowed to do this in their own homes. But they must go ultimately to Jerusalem, the city of David, to celebrate this festival. Because again, it is a congregational celebration. And they must go and celebrate the blessings of Yahweh, their God together. And of course, it is also a feast of remembrance, verse 12, and you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. And we talked about it before, but I will just mention very briefly again, of course, in the New Testament, In Acts chapter 2, the reason there were so many Jews from all over the known world in Jerusalem at that time was because they were there to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, what they knew as Pentecost. And we also know it as Pentecost and the arrival of the Holy Spirit with tongues of fire on the apostles and that great first sermon that was preached to all of those Jews that were in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And thousands of people came to faith in Christ that day. The third festival and uh, final point for today, uh, beginning in verse 13 of Deuteronomy chapter 16 under the larger umbrella of the fourth commandment. Moses says this, you shall celebrate the feast of booths seven days after you have gathered in from your threshing floor and your wine vat. And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who are in your towns. Seven days you shall celebrate a feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands. So that you shall be altogether joyful. Three times in a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the feast of unleavened bread, that's Passover, and at the feast of weeks, that's Pentecost, and at the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. And so we see that at each of these three feasts, I want to go back to those adverbs that we saw back in Deuteronomy chapter 15, that the, the, the Israelites should freely open their hands and they should generously lend and they should generously give to those who don't have for themselves. Specifically, I would point you to verse 14, the orphan and the widows who are in the towns. They are also called to make that trip to Jerusalem, but they would come empty-handed, wouldn't they? yes they would they would come empty handed and the israelites who could who could bring things they were commanded to bring verse 17 as they were able according to the blessing of the lord your god which he had given to them so that all of the israelites even the poor israelites the poorest of the poor the widows and the orphans could celebrate could rejoice at the feasts that God had called for his people. So that all of the Israelites could gather together as one congregation to rejoice and celebrate. Why? Because they remember, they remember that they were slaves in Egypt. And that God had redeemed them out of slavery with his strong right arm. So we're going to stop there today. I believe that ends the extended commentary on the fourth commandment. But uh, uh, before uh, we go and we shut the recording off, just a word of exhortation, right? The, the, our worship ought to be accompanied by adverbs as we provide for those around us who are in need. If you remember in, in his uh, first epistle to, to uh, the church in Corinth. Paul was displeased with the Corinthian church. Why? Well, because they weren't waiting for one another. And some had plenty to eat, while others did not have plenty to eat. And so there were divisions being brought in the body of the church at Corinth during the supper. And Paul was looking back On the Deuteronomic Code here in Deuteronomy 15 and 16, and he's saying, brothers and sisters, these divisions should not be. No one in your church should be wanting when you come together to celebrate the supper and to remember the glorious redemption that we have because of the spilled blood, the precious spilled blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, so Paul's not writing them a new commandment in First Corinthians eleven. Paul is writing them an old commandment, a commandment for the brothers and the sisters, that's us to give generously and freely, and to be considerate of one another, and to rejoice and celebrate together as we remember God's great redemptive work in our own lives, and in the lives of the local church uh, that we're surrounded by. So I pray you would take that exhortation, uh, and um, God bless.